0: Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliani here again on another awesome Sunday night, and this is the Gift of Grace, where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. So I hope you've had an awesome week. Today we're going to talk about two roads. Uh, I'm going to try to do this in one program, but it might extend to two. Because Jesus preaches two different versions of this. One's in Matthew and one is in Luke. And I thought tonight we would start with Matthew's version. And because we're in the season of Lent, as we're approaching Holy Week and Good Friday and Resurrection Day, and this is a time of year that we are more reflective and more penitent, you might say, where we consider things that we're doing in our lives and consider the passages in the Gospels that tell us that we should in fact be penitent and that repentance is the key to getting into the kingdom. John the Baptist points that out right at the very beginning, you might say about repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, of course, picks this up and says, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. On Pentecost morning, Peter addresses several thousand people that have gathered and tells them to repent and be baptized after many of them, presumably about 3,000 of them, as it tells us in that passage, so 3,000 of them have said, "What or they, they were cut to the heart and said, well, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repentance is the key to getting into the kingdom. And repentance is really the key for showing you how you stand before the judgment seat, how you stand before the justice of God and illustrates the fact of why a Messiah needed to come in the first place. Because we're defective and we're frail, and there's really very little in us that wants to follow, that wants to obey, that wants to follow the law. And so, in so many passages in the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, and tells us that we're really not interested in following. We fall away very easily, and I think everybody knows that, and I know that no matter how long you've been a believer, whether it's been 70 years or whether it's been a week and a half, you know all too well about your weakness, and you know all too well about what your tendencies are. And, of course, in our time, the messages have gotten so messed up. The gospel has been so hijacked that no one even knows what the gospel is anymore. And we've become kind of self-centered, prideful beings that think that everything is about us and everything revolves around us. And you, you can see that right down to the you know, taking of selfies with your cell phone and posting selfies of yourself all over the place and standing up in various places and saying, I need this to happen and that to happen. And I need all of you to change what you all think because I want to fit in here. Somebody sent me a great uh, cartoon, but it was very well done, but very poignant. And there was a vast vast number of people that were labeled as the church. And there was one person away from the group in the front of the group saying, you all need to change what you believe and how you look at things so that I can fit in here. And that's pretty much our world today. We feel that everybody has to fit in, that we can move things around, we can rearrange things and things that were written in the Word over a period of oh, three to 4,000 years, maybe. Might that Those things may have been important at one time, but now that we're living in our modern times, our time of moral relativism, our time of self-centeredness, we really don't have to pay that much attention to that, because after all, truth... Little t is what we make of it. And we don't believe, for the most part, that there's a, cru- a truth, capital T. You remember, since we're coming up, before you know it, on Holy Week, and, um, you know that Pilate, Pilate even asked Jesus, what is truth? We don't know what his tone of voice was but people wanted to know what was the truth. And now truth has become relative and morals have become relative. And and I don't have to expound on that because you all know that by looking around you. You all know that by turning on the television. You all know that by going to a movie. You all know that by listening to your friends. And so we've come to the point where we feel we can arrange truth. And actually, we're changing it from truth, capital T, to truth, little t. And that's where we stand. Well, one of the things, of course, that is emphasized by that is the fact of what is salvation, and how is salvation achieved? Is salvation achieved by believing whatever you want and not hurting anybody and being nice? Or is there a way which is described in all the revelation that's in all of the Scripture, all of God's Word, and all you have to do is point yourself back to 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul writes to Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. Most translations say inspired, but the Greek means that God breathed out the Scripture. He breathed out His Word. When you say a word, your breath comes out. The word for spirit and breath and wind are all the same word, both in Hebrew and in Greek. So what Paul's telling Timothy is that the Holy Spirit breathed out the scriptures, breathes out the Word, capital W, breathes out the truth, capital T. And in fact, Jesus himself said, when the Spirit comes, when the other comforter comes, when the other paraclete comes, he's the Spirit of truth. He's going to show you truth. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to show you truth. And so truth is already provided for us. Truth is already illustrated for us. Truth is already revealed to us. And what's revealed to us is truth with a capital T, not our silly relative truth that comes out when we're talking to our friends or watching our entertainment or news media. So we're going to go to Matthew 7, all that being kind of an introduction. So we probably are going to have to do the Matthew passage today and the Luke passage next week, the way things are going, because time just ticks along here. So Matthew 7, we're just going to do verses 13 and 14. And this is, of course... Jesus talking, verse 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This was preceded by somebody saying, and in the Luke passage, this was preceded by somebody saying, "Lord, are there many that will be saved? Are there few that will be saved? What what's you know what's what are my chances? What's the percentage here? You know, is it fifty-fifty? Is it ninety-ten? I mean, like what percentage of people are saved?" Well, Jesus, of course, doesn't give us a percentage, and he doesn't provide any kind of mathematical uh, calculation. But he illustrates the answer to this in a very interesting way. There are two roads. One is very broad. And there are many who are on it. One is very narrow. And it's difficult. And there's few that are on it. So there's two roads There's two choices. The choice is one of the two roads. There's not 12 roads. There's not six roads. There's not even three roads. There's two roads. One of them is broad and leads to to destruction. One is narrow and goes to life. Now, I'm sure you all know about these roads he's talking about. But since I just was brief, just a short time ago, talking about how in our world we look at things now, our world, our culture, has completely resisted this, has completely changed this. And the way it's presented, and I'm sorry to say, it's also presented in churches this way, is that the road to Life, the road to salvation is very broad and almost everybody's on it. The road to destruction is very narrow and, you know, there are maybe 15 or 20 people that are in hell. Everybody else has been saved. Um, God is love. God is mercy. And he is. So there's a very broad road that leads to salvation. There's a very narrow road that leads to discussion, to destruction. Jesus actually gives the opposite, the opposite explanation, the opposite fact. The broad road, he says, is the way to destruction, and there are many who are on it. Again, it doesn't give a percent, there are many that are on it. Some translations say most are on it. Jesus in no way gives the impression that everybody is saved. Does not give the impression that almost everybody is saved. Does it give the impression that, ah, don't worry about it because there's so few people going to destruction that I'm sure it doesn't apply to any of you. No, he says, the broad road is where most people are. And it's an easy road. It's an attractive road. It's an entertaining road because it fits in with our nature. The broad road welcomes us because it fits in with our nature. And so people are attracted to it. There's an allure to it. And there's great encouragement from demonic powers Yep, this is the road you need to be on. This is great. This is going to be awesome. This is how your life is going to be fulfilled because, after all, your life is about you. You should be healthy. You should be rich. You should accomplish things. And this sure looks like the way to do it. And this is the fun road. This is the fun road. It takes care of the comforts of the flesh. It takes care of the lusts of the flesh that Paul talks about in Romans and in Galatians and other places. It takes care of what the flesh wants. The The flesh wants to be satisfied, wants to be comfortable, wants to be secure. We don't have time to talk about sin and blood and crosses and all that stuff. We want to talk about fun stuff. Like they told the prophet Jeremiah, let's talk about something good. Let's not talk about all this negative stuff. This is a bummer thinking about these things. So the comforts of the flesh are on this road. You can take your lust with it, with you. You can take your appetites with you, whatever that appetite goes to. Appetites are not checked on this road. And there's a lot of company that you have on this broad road. Most people that you know are on this road. Does that mean they're horrible sinners? Well, that's the question. The usual thing is I don't do anything wrong. I've never killed anybody. But most people are on that road. We have a lot of company on that road. And it's much more fun to go with the crowd. We like to have company. We like to do things that make us feel better. We like to do things so that the people around us think that we're fun. That they're going to like us better. That is easier. This road, Jesus says, is easy. it leads to ruin. The road leads to ruin. The people on the broad road don't even sense where that road is leading. And if you point that out, if you're somebody who evangelizes and witnesses to people, and you point out where that road is going, you will be ridiculed, you will be insulted, you will be called any number of names, because people will think you are crazy. People will think you are crazy. And what's even worse is most people don't even hear that in the churches anymore. When I was growing up, when you went to church, when you went to Sunday school or catechism or whatever you went to, you were told in no uncertain terms what was right and what was wrong. then it started to blur a little bit. Then it started to become gray. And now the black and white has entirely turned to gray. And, oh, what does that matter anymore? Oh, we don't care about that anymore. And so the people on the broad road feel that they're fine. The people on the broad road are having interesting lives. They are doing their jobs. They might be very nice people. They're taking care of their kids. They might be accumulating wealth. They might have comfortable lives. Have no clue what's at the end of this road. And at the very end of this road, he points out, is destruction. In other words, the road suddenly ends. It might end when you're taking your garbage can out to the street. You feel a weird sensation in your chest and you fall over dead right at the height of your prosperity and life and health on the broad road. It might come apart when you go to some doctor's office and he says, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have six months to live. You say, but wait a minute, I'm making money. I have a really nice house. I have a really nice car. My kids are in the best schools. Because no one thinks about things like that. Because on the broad road, it's not good to think about things like that. Because it's a matter of comfort. Now, the narrow road goes through hostile territory, but goes to an awesome destination. It goes to a glorious destination. But it goes through Calvary, it goes through the cross. You know, Paul says, the old me was crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Paul says, I'm a wretched sinner. But Jesus has delivered me from that. As he he says in Romans, I'm sure that you know this, he says, the good things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this? He wanted to be on the narrow road. The people on the broad road don't care about deliverance because they don't see the need. But the narrow road requires conversion. It requires regeneration. It requires faith. And grace shows you the way on the narrow road. Grace shows you that you're forgiven. And as Paul says in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4, that the Spirit tells us now that we're we're adopted sons and daughters. We're not bound to, to things anymore. We're set free. And we're adopted. We call God Abba which means daddy. It's like a little kid who calls his father daddy. That's how we live now. We're adopted, and grace does that. We, we have metanoia. We have a change in our mind. We have a change in our whole existence. And as you know, the Greek means not only is your mind changed, but you're walking in one direction, but then you turn 180 degrees, and walk in the other direction. Then you're on the narrow road, and there's going to be opposition. You're going to feel like you're swimming upstream. You're going to be opposed by people all around you, and many of those people that are on the broad road are going to look at you like you're crazy. You know, Paul always talks about you got to get rid of the old man not old in terms of age, but you know what I mean, the old me is gone. He's always talking about how the, spirit, how the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. And when you're on the narrow road, you are literally going through a wilderness like the Israelites did. We still have to live in the world. Jesus said we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He says if the world loves you, then something is wrong. The world is going to hate you because the world hates me. And if you don't think the world hates Jesus, watch TV very carefully. Listen to the news very carefully. Listen to what people are allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. And one thing you're not allowed to talk about is Jesus. You can talk about anything else, but not him. So we're on that narrow road, those of us that are going toward the life, and we see the destination that's worthwhile, we know where that road leads. The people, people on the broad road don't even know where they're going. And you can't be on both roads. Jesus said, there's a choice. You're either on the broad road or the narrow road. The people on the narrow road set their eyes on a goal. Like Paul says, they fix their eyes on the prize. Like the writer to the Hebrew says, keep pressing forward, going toward the goal. And they know what the goal is. People, people on the broad road don't think the goal is everything that's happening in their life. Their money and their health and their house and all the stuff. but don't see what's going to happen when all that ends. The people on the broad road and the people on the narrow road shouldn't have very much in common. They are opposite people. The broad road people are living for themselves, and it's fun to be on the broad road. You get to hang around with some fun people. People on the narrow road are perceived to be boring, And weird. There are people who don't know how to have any fun. There are people that want to tell everybody what to do. And these differences are becoming more and more stark. More and more obvious. In our culture. And it's not just here. It's all over the world. Europe and America and Canada are a total disaster now. There's great signs of faith in Africa and in Asia and parts of Latin America. But in general, the people on the broad road want nothing to do with the narrow road. And so the goal that's in mind, the end point of the roads, is clear to the people on the narrow road And the people on the narrow road also know what's going to happen to the people on the broad road. The people on the broad road not only don't know why these weird people are going to church and praying and reading the Bible and studying, and and they also have no clue where they're going, and they have no clue where they themselves are going as that broad road goes to the edge. There's two destinations. There's either destruction or there's life. Oh, I know the music's already playing. I guess we'll get to Luke's version next week. But anyway, thanks for tuning in and join us on the Gift of Grace next week, where we'll read and teach God's Word and proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. Have an awesome week.